Welcome to Art Kids, the podcast hosted by three college buddies, Lisa, Reese, and Tracy, where we talk about all things art. In this episode, special guest B, the zine witch, talks to us about their years making zines and weaving them into an astrology and human design practice. Join us as they share their love of art, activism, healing, and metaphysics, and how they combine them all in their unique view of personal evolution. Happy Friday, everybody. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. I, I already am enthusiastic. <laughs> yes, yes. We have the wonderful, beautiful Bee on our show today. <laughs> the Zine Witch. Um, she does amazing pop culture references on her IG page, and she talks about astrology, and it's just wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, I feel I feel so honored. Um I'm so excited to talk about art with you guys today. I know. Yeah. I'm stoked for this. I've been, so I've been following these stuff for a couple of years now. Um, and I, ever since I saw your initial style, I fell in love with it. Like it was the visuals that grabbed me at first. And then your ex use of like, I love astrology, human design, all the things. Right. Um, but the use of how you explained those astrological archetypes with these pop culture icons and like just use that to like illustrate that type of energy like i've been obsessed with ever since and then um yeah i just i love your style working with this stuff and and all the different things you weave with it so i'm like really excited to have you on and like have all of us have this conversation and like have your particular take on things well thank you for having me i am so excited to be here i feel like i usually you know, don't get to blend all my interests into one area. And so I feel like this is just perfect. It's, uh, and these things that I love, like zines um, and astrology, they sort of go hand in hand. When you read like a magazine at the grocery store, you know, do you remember like reading your horoscope in the back? Yes, that was always my favorite part of any magazine, flipping to the back and getting my horoscope. I remember um, being young, uh, my dad owned a restaurant and uh, he would always have the newspaper and I would always have to like go and like, um, you know, entertain myself because he was busy and waiting for my food. And that was the thing I was most excited about the comics and the horoscopes. They were always kind of in the same section of our paper and they just go hand in hand. It was the first thing I read in the morning. <laughs> Did you ever call the newspaper for your horoscope? No. Our local newspaper had like a a star eight six or whatever it was like something and you'd call and you could get your horoscope on the phone if you didn't have the newspaper that's awesome, awesome. i didn't know they did that it was awesome i remember miss cleo <laughs> yes she was a classic yes my favorite so b tell us about yourself your journey and the birth of Zinewitch. um so uh i guess it really kind of all begins uh, I'm an Aquarius sun and moon. So it begins with my friend. Um, in 2008, I went out to California for the first time from my small town. And I visited uh, my childhood friend who decided to up and move and make something of herself. She was the first of my friends to really go and do that. And uh, that trip really like changed my perspective on on everything. And she was this incredible 
an erotic artist and she was also an art model and you know everywhere she went like every artist like was totally in love with her she was amused and uh, I remember sitting in an art class with her and some really great artists um the sculpture artist named Jonathan I think his name is Jonathan Ross um but we were all kind of sitting around and I was seeing these incredible artists and I just, I've always just like doodled. I've never been, I like, I would not call myself an artist. And um, I said, I wish I could be an artist. Like you guys are so good. Like, and Melissa, her name was Melissa. Um, she just sort of like looked at me and she was like, everyone's an artist. You just have to make art. And no one had ever said that to me before. And in that moment, I was like, I guess I'm an artist then. And I started, you know, creating things. And uh, unfortunately what ended up happening is she passed away a few years later in this wow. really sudden tragic way and I had a hard time dealing with that because I feel like in so many ways she gave me my identity she made me break free of limitations that I had um self-imposed limitations she just sort of was my muse in that way and so um that grief sat with me for a really long time until I decided one day fuck this I'm gonna make something beautiful because that's how she would handle things and I just started seeing people around me who were like you know, once friends, it was like a really kind of um, turbulent time in my community. And I wanted to create something that like brought people together and reminded people um, why we came to like the things we were interested in in the first place, right? Subcultures. And um, so I decided I was going to create a zine. Um, and I was going to you know, put all these little tethered pieces of myself into the art, into the background. Everything was really thought out with those first few issues. And I wanted to just have an open call and share stories about the ways we turn tragedy or trauma into triumph. And sometimes that triumph is just being able to talk about it. Like there, it doesn't need to be like, I won, I won this competition and, and it made something fantastic like you know sometimes it's just the process of connection that makes something you know um feel like you've gotten to the other side of it and so I wanted to create kind of that platform that liminal space between the trauma and the triumph and and I created several issues doing that and it was so much fun to make and you know everything again like I said was really well thought out and an homage to my grief in many ways like I used artwork my mom made when she was like three years old my mom passed away and each issue had like a hidden facet of my mom in it and a reference to the wizard of oz this like idea of like the hero's journey and um just kind of subtly in the pages and uh, i have always been really influenced by um the 90s uh and punk and um, one of the things that I'm always really drawn to is the transition. And this is such a, like a nineties thing where between the heaviness, the darkness, the loudness, the dirtiness and, and the beauty. And so I tried to make each page sort of reflect that. So you see this contrast of like darkness with beauty a lot of times that, that I've always just really been attracted to. And, um, so I did that for several years and then I kind of got bored of it. And I started to get more and more into astrology. And I remembered the last thing that Melissa and I really had a heart to heart about was astrology. She asked me, she was the first person to ask me if I read my, if I ever had my natal chart read. And um, I said, no. And I pulled it for the first time and I got super into it. 
And uh, she kind of opened that door for me too. So there she goes being my Chironic figure and my muse and the app, like even from the beyond. And I got really into astrology and started practicing that. And I sort of infused the two. <laughs> so that's kind of the long and short of it. I, love I think that. that's amazing. And as you like learned more about astrology, you got into human design. Yeah. Well. Like that was kind of really learning anything at that time. I was really open to self-discovery and realizing who, I mean, I had just gotten out of like a really long kind of toxic relationship. And I was kind of learning who I was outside of that relationship because I spent many of my formative years, you know, with this person and meshed so deeply. So I was like, yeah, I want to learn human design. I want to learn astrology. I, um, the I Ching was really interesting to me. And the I Ching is kind of very much tied into uh, human design as well. I so just for the first time was able to look through an I Ching book. My my one friend has one. She's like, oh, you know what I've been really into? And then I was at her house. She's like, oh, let me show you that book. It's so cool. It is cool. And then another, like I have... I've had so many weird coincidences in my life. Um, it's hard not to be spiritual when these things happen to you, but like I had a long lost sister situation. And like shortly after I started practicing professionally, I went to go meet my sister after her mom died. Um, her mom was my dad's second wife. My my mom was the third wife. And um, so I go back and I'm like going through this woman's house who I've never met, I've only heard of. Um, and, uh, just kind of helping my sister kind of grieve and clean things. And when I got there, the first thing I, I saw when I sat down was an I Ching book. <laughs> and I was like, and then like another weird thing that had happened with like the week before I had been thinking about purchasing this book at a used bookstore that was, um, on past lives and things like that. And I was like, you know what I'm going to, and this was like the first time I actively tried to manifest something. I was like. I'm not going to buy this $3 book because I'm going to believe it's going to come to me for free. And that book was sitting there the exact same. And what was crazy, it was like the exact same 70s book cover. You know, the book cover has changed over the last 30, 40 years. It was the exact same one. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. It's so weird. <laughs> How do you think, could you, um, could you quickly explain human design for people who don't know what human design is? Human design is uh, just another, uh, it's kind of similar to astrology or other, other uh, you know, what do they call it? The Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or whatever. Like it's another kind of system like that, but it combines a lot of different principles like astrology, quantum physics, the I Ching, um, the tree of life from Kabbalah. Like it, it combines all of these kind of um ways of defining yourself and searching into one kind of uh, system. And uh, essentially, you know, it, it can get more intricate as astrology gets more intricate. But the idea is that we all carry different energy types. And within those energy types are different personality profiles. And so, you know, the personality profile is more just like um, the mask that you wear, you know, out in the world and how you use that energy type. And then within that, you can learn so many fascinating things, like the best way you digest information or food and what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And, 
you know, it's just, it's just another tool. I think you can utilize it's there to help you find yourself and help you connect with others. Um, the thing that makes human design a little bit different is it has the suggestion of it being a lived experiment. And so there's different exercises that you can do for each one of those types um, that help you get the best results. So um, for example, if somebody is a generator, which most people are generators, if you have a, a uh, a, a type that is different, then you're going to be kind of a little bit rare. Um, but for generators, uh, we are here to respond to life. So when we see something, for example, we're walking down the street, right? Um, generators, they're meant to be lit up by the things that they see. So they see a you know, a poster for their favorite band is on the wall of their record store. And they're like, oh, we should go to that, that your body, think about how your body feels when you see that it lights up. So it's recognizing that's an energy source. That's like a spark. And so we can respond to that. Um, and it's as simple as that, or, you know, another example they love to give in human design is like, what do you want for dinner? And letting your body respond to it in yes or no answers, uh-huh, uh-uh, kind of thing. So like going back to these primal sounds that we made when we were, you know, beyond words, uh-huh, yes, that's a yes, right? Uh-uh is like a no. So, you know, if you don't know what you want in your generator for dinner, for example, you can be like, do you want Thai food? Uh-uh. Do you want, you know, vegetarian food? Uh-uh. Uh, do you want uh, Jamaican food? Mm, like that's like. <laughs> so it's this interesting experiment that you can have that helps you kind of listen to your own intuition and your own gut. And instead of like, you know, waiting for things to happen or contrary, like feeling you have like have to make things happen all the time, which can be a problem for some people. It allows you to like process things naturally. So it, I like it because it allows me to slow down and regroup because I'm kind of impulsive because I have PTSD. <laughs> it just helps me um, become more mindful, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think most, so recently I did my profile the last time. I think you were visiting Lisa and we found out that her and my boyfriend are actually the same and they're both very rare. And all of the things that I learned in the very short time of like, creating those profiles and saying them, I was like, wow, this explains so much. And then I did yeah. mine. And I was like, oh yeah, this explains even more. It's like, it's fascinating. Like, so yeah. she's referring to like him and I are both manifesting generators, which I know isn't like crazy rare, but we're both one threes. So that whole like research and like live through trial and error thing. Like we both have that. And my nephew apparently is a one three two, which I think is so funny. And I'm like, it's yeah, it definitely, I think explains a lot of our process. I love that. Um, one of my nieces is a one three and it, and I was explaining this as like a foreign concept one time to my sister and, uh, she reiterated this thing about like how, when she was young, she would get on the same toy over and over and over again. Like other people would play with different toys, but she had to like learn through the process of trial and error. Like she, she like was steadfast at it, even from a young age. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. Really cool. Like these things are like. Um, you know, there's some language in human design that I don't particularly love because I think it was meant to be shocking and to create a response. Some uh, human design practitioners I've seen like reclaim and rename these things. Um, I just some kind of like I take what sticks and leaves the rest kind of gal. So I have like a 
an eclectic toolbox of tools to pull from when I'm working with people. And I like that. I like just having a lot of different tools because the same thing like uh, isn't going to work for everyone. So it's nice to have just different techniques. Absolutely. I totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The whole like weaving different things together and pulling with what works, I think along my like journey with things like anything metaphysical or new age or things like that, I would learn about one arena of things, right? And then I'd move on to a new one. And then there came a point during the pandemic where, I don't know if you noticed this too, but I noticed, especially on the social media space and then within certain communities, there was a split in certain ideologies, right? Like, and I mean, I guess it goes to the territory of COVID and the politics we had at the time, but um, that's when I started seeing some of the problematic, the really problematic stuff in some of these arenas. And I was like, I don't know what to make of this anymore. I'm, it has me questioning like some of these things I was really into. And that's on the other end of that, I basically came to like, I'm going to take the pieces that work for me and then weave it with these other areas, what works with that. And I like, sometimes I do wish I had a more moments of wishing I had a more traditional path that I follow with that had like these step, this is the step you take and this is the initiation. But I think that with like where I'm at in my background, that's probably the best thing for me is just to like take what shows up and what actually resonates and like let the rest fall to the side. I think some people really benefit from like structure, especially if they, you know, have issues like addiction or something. People with addiction tend to like a, like a structured program. And then I think that some people feel reduced by structure or limited. Um, I came from a household that was faith, faithless underneath the surface of faith. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of, go with what feels good and what feels right. And I'm always open to learn and, and express higher truths or move. I mean, there's been so many times I felt, um, like, I guess like a disillusioned really from like things that I believed to be true and I held true. So I had to walk away from them. So like, I think I don't feel so tied to things anymore. I'm, I'm always ready to just like, uh, take what works for me and, and not claim like, you know, I am this type of astrologer, or this is something I feel very adamant and I will die on my deathbed feeling this way, because I just like to be open. I have Chiron in the ninth. <laughs> you said you have, you have Chiron where? It's Chiron. Yeah. I have Chiron in the ninth house. And so for people who are listening and they're like, what the hell is that? Chiron is like our wounded, is called the wounded healer. And it's where we we carry wounds, but also where we feel trauma and we can heal others through our shared experience. And so the ninth house is higher education, spirituality, ideas, beliefs. Um, yeah, I came from like punk rock. So I had like very strong DIY ethics. And then I went and I volunteered at 924 Gilman and I saw a hellscape paraded like it was very much my home like where it was like um something faithless hidden in the faith where there's like these rules on the door if anybody's unfamiliar with 924 Gilman Gilman it's like no sexism no homophobia no violence and I saw all of those things while I was in those walls and I was in a kangaroo cart uh where they voted an abuser to play 
who killed somebody, killed a woman. And, and they thought that that was acceptable. So, you know, I just, um, I've had a lot of things in my life where I've seen something I really believed in turn out to be like hooey. <laughs> so I take away those punk rock ethics and, you know, what, what good it brought me. And, and I, I have taken the rest. <laughs> I very much feel you on that. I think over the past few years, one of the biggest things, especially the past two years, like I think a lot of it has to do with my nodal returns. Like I'm just, well, actually all three of us have just finished our, our nodal returns. And um, I've seen a lot of like abuse in communities, right? Like these areas that you idealize and like these people that get pedestaled and like the, these are people that would like normally champion different causes and stuff like that. But within that community, they're usually protecting other abusers and like the way we overlook the abuses of other people and just like had these people or, or, or groups or places that I was finding myself in one by one, like the other side of it, right? Like just the, the things that didn't add up to what they claim their values were or just, you know, and, and abuse can run a gamut of things, right? It could be physical abuse down to just like psychological abuse and like the way we use people as scapegoats and, you know, have giant blind spots. And it was like, every time I would leave one environment, I would end up seeing that in a, another one. And I think that for a minute, it had me really questioning what all that meant and what I should take from it. And it just like, at the end of the day, I was like, one, I think this is some of my lessons I have to learn right now. And two, it's, you, it's going to be everywhere. So it's, I can't allow that to like shatter me, you know, and like let go of all the good things. I take the good from it. I stand within my values. And then I, I've at this point, I just kind of like trust that the universe is going to send me the environments and the people and the lessons that I need, you know, and then I just try to sift through what I'm supposed to be taking away, but it definitely a lot of my naivety, naivety, however you say it, um, got cracked open during that time. I definitely had this very Pollyanna view of things for a while. And then um, I think I've, I've always just walked through the world like, if I'm really nice and I have good values and I'm nice to other people, everyone's going to be like that back to me. And like, that's not how things work. And that often makes you a sucker and a target, you know, like it's not going to stop me from being like good to others or like carrying values of integrity. But I know that I have to look for those other signs and like kind of sift through things in that lens, you know? Absolutely. That's definitely a similar journey to the one that I'm on. It's, it's difficult because like, what do you do with that anger? What do you do with that frustration? And then like, it can make you want to be violent. You know what I mean? Because when you're not being heard, when you're not being listened to, like, what do you do? I see why people go crazy. The thing I've had to really learn, especially over the last few years, um, as I've done more activism, is that our systems are built in a very patriarchal way, at least in the United States. Um, the family court system is horseshit. Like, it is built for abusers to get their victims rather than to protect them yep. we've seen that in various arenas whether it is the britney spears case whether it is what is happening with bam margera um which you know people taking advantage of people who are struggling with addiction is also another way that we do this um and so we're seeing these and this is brings it back to astrology like since 2008, we've been in Pluto and Capricorn. So Pluto shines the light on what is 
in the shadows, right? It's what we're here to change, what we're here to transform. It's the principle of Hades and the underworld. So, you know, especially as we're recording this, Pluto will shift. This is a very rare event. And so right before it shifts, I always use the analogy of when it's at the last degrees, we call them the anoretic degrees in astrology. I say it's like having the oven on broil of that sign and so capricorn it's structures and government so we're watching government structures fall we're seeing the underside the undercurrents of ways that our structures are held up i was reading um these beautiful letters that my grandfather wrote in the 40s the other day um he was a chaplain in the uh, army he was a rabbi for many years and I wish I could have gotten to know him better, but he passed away when I was really young. And uh, we have similar astrology charts, which makes me recognize that even though it's a very different spiritual vision that I am on, uh, that like I'm on the right page. And I was reading something he wrote and it really like, I, it, I like it made me smile. And he was talking about how he was overseas with the army and <laughs> he like, uh, there was a, a strike of VD uh, that was happening. And, um, you know, my grandfather was really conservative and married and all these things, right? And so, the, but the way he wrote about it, he was like, I don't blame the soldiers. I blame the structures that are holding this up that influence the soldiers that are encouraging them to like cheat on their wives and go to brothels and these things. And I was like, Grandpa, I am so freaking proud of you. <laughs> like, yes, it is the structures. And that just made me so, like, I wish I could have high-fived him, you know, like. That's and, amazing. That's so yeah, out of his time too. Jeez. It really brought me, it was really moving to like kind of see that he wasn't one of those religious figures that like judged people, you know, like he, he wanted to change things. And I wish I could have had more conversations with him about that. That's awesome though. Cause it really speaks to like, that's in your lineage, you know, like that's the work that comes down the line, you know, like you're just continuing it on in your own way in your own distinct energy through that. That's amazing. Yeah. It was, it's, it was really moving. We have a mercury conjunction. So for people who are new to astrology, mercury is how you think and conceptualize the world. So when you have a conjunction, it means it's in the same uh, degree point and it's touching. So great minds think alike. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, astrology is really cool. Um, for example, what I found, which is, which is really neat, um, and this is something I'm like, I have a special interest in is like family astrology, um, genealogy and things like that, like celestial DNA, our cosmic DNA. Like I think about it, like my grandfather is technically my step grandfather. So we're, we, there we're not, there's not even a blood relation there but we had that conjunction. We have similar charts. So, and I see children who are adopted all the time, right? Or, you know, stepchildren, things like that. Your family, whether it is your your best friend that happens to be a sister to you, you know, or your real blood family, it is amazing to see these conjunctions, these connections that families have. And often you'll hear like, you know, I was born on my grandfather's birthday or does that, or their anniversary, does that mean something? And yeah, like the, that means these degrees are being hit. That's like a, that's like a story for your family line. So I love being able to like help others, um, especially find those tools. And I think that that can be really helpful 
uh, especially if you're dealing with trauma in a family line or grief. Uh, it's wonderful. I've done some legacy readings lately that have been really moving and um, just kind of helping people come to terms with loss or grief or, you know, understanding, you know, in some cases like abuse and like what was, you know, kind of a lesson there. And, uh, you know, just seeing these amazing stories that the stars can tell. It's, it's really wild. Awesome. I imagine the family stuff is wild because it's, yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, it's one thing when you're looking at, you know, your, your own chart and your, um, just like the design for yourself, but when you weave in and you start like, so I keep Tracy Idris's and like a few other, my friends charts on my phone. And whenever there's like transits, I look through and I try to see how it's affecting everyone. But I also see how like we're correlating to one another. And, um, uh, yeah, I just, like, so even in a friend network, we all interact with one another, but like when you, I still need to like dive into my families a little bit more. I'm curious to see how my parents and I interact, but yeah, when you start looking at it from a family perspective, like it's super interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, I've had like, I guess the weirdest thing is like, I've had responses to people and I haven't like been able to figure out why. And then for a long time, I was meeting people who kept having the same degree as their ascendant over and over and over again, but it wasn't touching anything in my chart and I couldn't figure it out. And then one day randomly, I was looking at the my mother's death chart and it was like the degree that was hit like during that, that time period. And I realized like all of these people have triggered that wound within me on some level or shown like been mirrors to things that my mom went through. Like one of them was a girl I helped leave a toxic relationship. I kind of like helped her get the strength to, to leave and out her abuser. And that was something my mom was going through right before she passed. So, you know, um, or, in some cases, like maybe it was a guy and he was triggering my mommy issues or something, you know, like and needing to be nurtured or loved. So it's just been really interesting. And I keep learning more. I'm obsessed with progress charts lately and uh, prenatal eclipses. I've been really obsessed with lately. It's just fascinating. It brings me a lot of joy. That's awesome. That's amazing. Can you, what you were saying about that um, point that kept getting hit, what point would you call that? Can you describe that again? Oh yeah. So I was meeting a lot of people who had this particular degree as their ascendant. So your ascendant is the sign that is rising in the East when you're born, but that degree was also the degree of the sun when my mother died. Okay. So it was the degree that was, so there, they could have had that their ascendant be like 24 Leo, but then another one have 24 Aries. So the sign could be different. It was just the, the degree was always the same. No, it was the exact same sign as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I kept meeting people who had seven degrees of cancer in their wow. chart and that, and my mom died when it was seven degrees of cancer on the sun. So I just wow. thought that that was interesting. Wow. <laughs> definitely like, yeah wow. it's weird I mean and, and like I see that all the time now that I've kind of figured it out you know um so that's like for example I'm watching something play out right now with a client um where a whole family is involved in a family situation 
And sometimes I would think, oh, well, this, the girl is activated, the wife is activated, so something's going to happen with her, but then it happens with her child. And I'm like, oh, Venus is the child. And then something will happen in the kid on the kid's moon, and it'll happen to the the the, the wife because the moon can be our mother or family. So it's just it's interesting to see that like sometimes the planets in our charts too are the other people in our lives. So it's just the more I can work with like people and they come back and you know we can sort of see how the planets play out for them because that's going to be different for everyone. So that's why I always say it's a great idea to journal what comes up with different transits so you can start to pay attention to it. Like maybe Venus is money stuff for you or maybe it's stuff happening with your sis your sister cuz you know Venus is our relationships. So, yeah, interesting. <laughs> that's awesome. Now I'm just reading about my Chiron placement on my natal chart because I'm like oh no now I need to know I've never looked at that before <laughs> I think yours is in Gemini but I can't remember what house yours it's is. the eighth house what is it the eighth mm -hmm. you so, have a bunch of stuff in your eighth how you it's jam-packed versus communicating about inheritance communicating about sexuality things that are taboo things that are transformative you probably would I would imagine if somebody had Chiron in their eighth house in Gemini I would wonder like how, like what your relationships with friends are like are you like the person that they call in a crisis are you like do you have a hard time creating boundaries for yourself in that kind of way are <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that life, that that we talk about like that a lot yeah it's like, been a big it, theme this year <laughs> There you go. So one of the first things that drew me to your work is your use of beautiful pop culture portraiture and using icons to explain and describe astrological archetypes. Will you talk about that for a bit for the listeners and like your process with that, why you choose certain people and just like maybe one of your favorite descriptions? Yeah, I, um, astrology should be accessible it should be easy uh some of it can get very complicated and i think that deters people from learning it my goal is to make it accessible and so i think you know i've always been a sucker for pop culture and it's just how my brain thinks naturally i love gilmore girls i tend to talk like amy sherman palladino everything's a reference and to my friends that get me the most, like we, we talk to each other in like jokes and song lyrics, you know, we have our own little kind of language. And I think astrology can be like that. And um, pop culture is just a great way to kind of teach something. So like if you're, for example, trying to learn about the Gemini archetype, you know, um, it might be helpful to like look at Angelina Jolie, who's like a Gemini, like, you know, think about what Gemini is known for. They're, they're known for their communication skills. They tend to be great advocates for things. Um, you know, she, she, they kind of have like two sides to them, which she does. So I feel like that could be like a great way of looking at it. So, you know, if I'm teaching, um, so the moon is our, like our emotions, right. And, um, it shows kind of like what our home life was really like and um, what we might feel comfortable on and, and, and how we might find safety when we're angered or upset. Right. So um, I'm trying to think of like a good example. Um, so 
Morrissey. He is like a Scorpio moon. So you're thinking about like somebody who's like very dark and has to say, you know, kind of vampiric things and is very angry and like brooding, but it's like, ah, you know, but like, you know, I, I, I could just die right now. That's like a Scorpio moon, right? Um, they're just very intense. Um, Katy Perry is a Scorpio moon, very intense, you know, like feels things, um, and, and has to like brood and sit in it a little bit. So you'll, you'll find people, uh, another great example, Taylor moms and also very kind of Gothic, you know, like kind of dark, right? She's a Scorpio moon. Um, so just using these archetypes are usually like can add some architecture to what might otherwise be kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, I think with, with, uh, you know, like actors and characters and musicians, we feel like we know them in a way yeah. and you're like, really like, you know, them personally. So I do think that's a great way, like having pop icons as the reference for somebody to understand things through that lens. I think it's really awesome. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that it's a helpful way that we can kind of understand the duality of people too, because we can understand, like, we we understand a lot of our celebrities as multidimensional, especially when it comes to like musicians. Um, I'm a big music person. So most of the time I won't <clears throat> use musical figures in my work. Um, and you see like duality, at least with the ones that I'm, I'm drawn to, they're not very like one dimensional. So you can, you can use them as archetypes to tell a story. Um, when I like, you know, um, thinking about like a cancer moon, cancer moons are like the, like, think about a crab, a crab is like, has a hard shell around it. Right. Um, and then, okay, let's use an example of like Courtney Love is like fully cancer in her, like her ego expression and her emotional landscape, but she's a Libra rising, meaning she's here to experience relationships and aesthetics and beauty. And like, think about like, there's these two sides to her that, that are like very like the one side that's like very crabby and fuck you, but the other side that wants to be very glamorous and, you know, like it helps you also just see that like people are very layered and it's a wonderful tool as someone with autism I have autism so it's like it makes you see that people are multi-dimensional and helps you understand them on a much deeper level and what's going to trigger them and and why certain things trigger certain people but they don't trigger other people mm -hmm. so it, it gives you a lot of understanding I think a bit of a roadmap to navigating yeah people yeah I mean I think that it can show you someone's temperament um and then like also especially as you get older like I love looking again at progress charts because it shows you that you can evolve um we always like I mean people I feel like people who don't know astrology very well they'll be like I'm a Leo I'm not very full of myself or something but like you know, over time, first of all, also Leo is creativity and childlike and amor and things like that and passion and all that. But as they get older, you know, as they develop, eventually their progress chart, they're going to move into that Virgo territory. So you shift, you transform, you change. And and I, I love the freedom that that gives you. Yeah. And I think it definitely like, 
well, two things, what you're just saying about the progress chart, but also about seeing people as like, it's a roadmap to them, right? Like it's been beautiful for learning the roadmap to myself and for others, because I am often someone that struggles with like understanding why people have certain emotional responses or like why I misinterpreted or um, what, why certain things set people off. Right. And I think that when you understand, when I started looking at like, oh, well, this person's Mercury is in this, they're going to want to express themselves this way, but then they have this, you know, aspect which creates a tension between these two parts of their life. Like, I mean, like, I obviously can't do that with everyone I interact with. I won't always have the luxury of looking at their charts, but you better believe the people closest to me, I'm studying their charts so I can better understand them. And it helps with that. And like, under, because like, if people didn't always respond the way I would respond to stuff, a lot of times I was at loss for things. Um, And I think the other side of it too, is it's like, just with explaining archetypes and like the pop culture references with it, I found that like looking at a lot of your work and how you explain stuff and whenever I would take on learning a new area within astrology, when it was explained that way, I feel like I was able to tap into that archetypal energy within myself easier and like learn how to feel the difference of that type of energy versus another one. And it helped me better understand it so that like I knew, I suddenly knew when that part of myself was coming out or needing to be expressed or being activated, you know? Um, so I think that's why I love like adding a story and a picture to it because it just, makes it defines things better for me you know absolutely I think that all that it it's beautiful storytelling I also just like really love that that like uh you can take you can take astrology and you can utilize it like a relationship like I look at all the planets in my chart like a relationship and the more that I do that the healthier my relationship is with astrology in the sense that I don't feel so trapped by the planet. Like planets can do wonderful things. Uh, if you speak to them, I know that that sounds really silly. I've been, <laughs> but to some people it might sound really silly, but like, um, you know, I have, so I'm ruled by, uh, I, I mean, my sun and my moon are in Aquarius. So that's a Saturn planet. And then I'm a Virgo rising, um, so that's Mercury. So like I have these different relationships with these two very different planets in my chart. Um, I'm, I'm not the greatest with boundaries and, and and I can be kind of impulsive. And so I've developed this relationship with Saturn where I'm like, you know, I'm also kind of uh, melancholy. Uh, I struggle with depression, which is one side of Saturn. Right. But I'm like Saturn. Um, you know, I feel like this year I would like to really work on the darker parts of uh, how you show up in my life. I want you to teach me better boundaries this year. I want you to teach me how to work harder and use my energy more appropriately. Um, I would like you to take away some of my melancholy. I would like you to maybe work a little bit more with uh, Jupiter to make me feel a little bit more silly this year. And so you can state your intentions. And I, I really think that's helpful. Another silly thing I started doing recently, and I like, I did it kind of uh, facetiously a little bit because I was having a meltdown. And I was like, I saw this woman on uh, Instagram, and I wish I could remember her name, but she talks to trees. And she's like a tree healer. And she was like talking about how 
we need to tell, we need to manifest through the trees and build relationships with them. So I was at the park the other day and I was like having this argument with my sister and I just like hugged the tree and I was like, I want my sister to apologize. And I just like yelled at the tree and I was like, I'm sorry, tree. And then like, I can, I'm, I'm visual. I want to say like, it was like three minutes later because I was like, right when I got past the bend of the tree, my phone started ringing and it was my sister. And I was like, whoa, that's really weird. So I just, amazing. And I believe it though. Like, I mean, you, you're, you're a Reiki practitioner also, right? You're Reiki certified. Yeah. So like when I, I, I don't practice, like I practice for myself. I don't practice my clients, but I did get certified and um, when I did go through that process, the, I had two different teachers and the first one had us work with treats regularly. Like our first two like certifications, we would go and he would like have us like feel the energy of the tree, communicate and like, like just have that either like regulator. So I believe, I know this is going into woo territory for me, for some of our listeners, but I truly do believe that it's like, that is a network that is a network of roots and energy and intelligence and they're like science may not have caught up enough to be able to scientifically explain things but actually if you to go deep into it if you go into mushrooms and like what we've learned about mushrooms and how they crazy intelligently communicate science is starting to to catch up with that stuff but it's like very yeah. much like that there's and a whole network that plants can um plants scream when they're not watered they just did a study and I, I, and my other sister, uh, who is like, thinks all of this is like bullshit and she's very annoyed by it. I sent her the study and I was, cause we got into a huge debate and I was like, oh my goodness. So like, this has been, this has been my work. This is okay. So my sister is not receptive. This sister is not receptive to any of this. She's a very close off projector and, um, I love her to death though. And so, but she's, she, she's the potter. And she's been really trying to work on her pottery. And, and, and so I, I said to her, I was like, I know that this is going to sound a little silly, but the next time that you get yourself some flowers for the house, you know, I want you to whisper to the flowers and just say, I want to build something that's a beautiful structure that supports you. Can you guide me and, and, and take my hands and, and shape them the way they need to shift this clay? She said she would do it, but we'll see because she's been having creative roadblocks. So I'll get back to you and I'll let you know if it works. Yeah, but... <laughs> I'm curious how that turns out. I mean, I'm all for it. Like finding the different ways, like whether it is be to, you know, try to meditate or connect on a planet energy or whether it be um, plant energy, which Tracy, I feel like you and plants like should have, I, I innately feel like there's a really strong connection there for you. And, but yeah. I hey, definitely like whatever tends to come up jungle. at the time. I'm all for it. <laughs> I have too yeah. many plants. I think even so. though you can never have too many plants. <laughs> to answer your question, I just think that, like it's all about like uh, building relationships, and so I sort of, and I think that the more you build that relationship, you build that trust. So you're not like, oh my god, there's a Mars Kazemi tomorrow. Am I going to get into a fight with somebody? Oh no, what's going to happen? And it just goes. You know, tomorrow I'm going to sever some shit that needs to like go. I'm going to take things to goodwill, whatever it might be, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's. Yeah, utilize how you can utilize that energy in a positive way, even though what's coming may seem negative. Yeah. Um, The universe is conspiring in your favor. Yes, Pranoa. 
I'm probably butchering that, but yes, I'm all about that. I uh, I was just listening to Matthew McConaughey's book, Greenlight. I just finished it on my, I just, I'm in Connecticut right now, and I just did the drive to North Carolina here, and I was listening to that on my drive two days ago. Sorry, keep going. I love that book. It, it was it was everything I wanted it to be so far, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm like trying to take on his philosophy of just look for green lights. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. So much. I think I could, I could talk on him and his family for a while. First off the way his parents raised him and how they were never allowed to say, I can't. It's just like that. That was like one of like, their parents were pretty loose with how they raise them and stuff. But a big, big no, no is that, they were never allowed to say I can't or they didn't know how, right? Like it was just like and on I remember too. Like I was what? reading remember like the honesty thing was like a huge deal to you. I yeah. No, I, I, I expect to be so moved by Matthew McConaughey, but here we are. <laughs> no, seriously though, like I um last year I got into um there's this app that has like a lot of different it's called pep talk actually. And I started listening to it every day, almost like throughout the day, I was going through a very transitory time and a difficult time. And I needed that kind of motivation. And I got into these types of lectures and interviews and stuff. And I started obsessively listening to this stuff. And it's a phenomenal app, by the way, I highly recommend it to anyone. But I found through that one, there's this famous um, speech he did a commencement speech. And it's like his like 10 and I towards the end of his book, he does use part of that speech in there, but it's like his like 10 points of like rules through life. And that's when I realized I was like, oh man, you have a lot more to you than I ever would have imagined. And you're like really ahead of your time and wise. And then I started looking into other interviews with him and I was like, oh, you're great. And then this book came out and it's just does not disappoint at all. That's awesome. I finished, I've been... I've been doing, I've been binging a lot of books lately. I just finished Julia Fox's book. Oh my goodness. If you're listening to this, go read Down the Drain. It's incredible. She is a brilliant storyteller. She's been through Helen back. I love her authenticity. She's like unapologetically who she is. And I love it. It was a sad, like I, I really related to like a lot of her, um, it, the end of the book gets a little bit spiritual and dark because she had a lot of grief and losses in her life in the last few years. And, but like her energy is, I, I have a sun moon conjunction with her. So I was just like, hell yeah. Like um, the, her ability to turn her trauma into triumph and, and to make beautiful art for her friends. I really related to that. It was a really good book. I love that. Yeah, no, she's an interesting character for sure. I mean, Idris, you have a forever love of Julia Fox. We've had many a debate on her. I'm always like go back and forth on like, I can't quite decide what my true opinion on her is, but that endorsement, I'll have to give that a read now because I have seen interviews where she is like, so uh, like just being honest that like it could be to her detriment in certain moments. And I was like, I can't, it, and sometimes I'm almost like, is this a persona or is this just completely unabashedly you, you know? And I think it, it it does, you're not the first person I've heard say that she's just really honest about things and just like, she doesn't care how it comes off. She's gonna be real and raw about it. You like a real artist, like, like her, that the book really focuses a lot on her commitment to be an artist and, you know, everything that life sort of hands her and she just comes back and, and she's so tough and yeah, just gone through a lot of abusive 
shitty relationships, sort of a latchkey kid that had to raise herself, you know, I think that there's definite reasons to project onto her, but I think she's, I think she's a badass. I, I would not be shocked if she created something extraordinarily brilliant that blew us all away. I think her best art is yet to be made. <laughs> yeah. I like her. No, I'll definitely have to give that book a read. <laughs> she's a great storyteller. One of the things I said earlier, I love about astrology and human design is, um, it can be, I think it can be a really great way to help you like find your path or your calling, or at least like the energy you use on that road, right? That's like individual to you, um, or feel more solid in your process or the energy you carry in life. Like, for example, you know, I mentioned earlier for human design, I'm a one, three manifesting generator, um, astrology wise, you know, I have an Aries stellium in the 10th house, but I'm a, you know, opposes my Libra moon and I'm a cancer rising, right? Like all different types of energies. Um, I learn, but the human design aspect has taught me, you know, the one three that I learned through research, um, obsessive research actually, and trial and error. Right. And, yeah. but there were times in my life where those things would have, I would have thought that was a sign of like, I'm not doing it right. I'm not showing up the way other people do, especially if you have to learn through trial and error, right? Like I failed failing the bad thing. Now I feel very differently, right? Like we have to fail to get better at things. Um, and I think researching works in my um, benefit with stuff. I really embrace that now, but I used to beat myself up about that. Um, so basically how do you, how can someone take those things or use you in design and astrology as a way to like find their unique energy to find the best way for them to move through the world, whether it be in relationships or career, things along those lines, um, and just be confident in their own voice and energy. I think that astrology and human design um, can both teach you a lot about the way in which you perceive the world, the way that you conceptualize the world and how you can kind of use that to your benefit. And um, I really love, for example, um, when I'm doing work with people, um, I love looking at your Mars sign because Mars is how you're literally going to move in the world. So Venus is like the style in which you move and Mars is how you move. So what's your, let me ask you, let's do a little experiment. What's your Venus and what's your Mars? Um, so I'm in Aries, um, uh, Venus retrograde. Um, oh, wow. I'm also, I should mention though too, I'm Mercury retrograde and my son is Aries. So those three conjunct each other. So Venus retrograde, Mercury retrograde, and then Aries sun, all in Aries. And then my Mars is Taurus conjunct my North node. Gotcha. Okay. So I would say for you, I would sort of look at it like we have a retrograde story on top of that. So when people are born with a Venus retrograde, they can sometimes be late bloomers and they're, they're really defining their Venus in this lifetime. And there's a lot of inner work and a lot of, um, you know, I feel like I love people with Venus retrograde. I tracked you guys a lot because I think you guys don't, realize how beautiful and valued you really are and, and so I love to be able to like reflect light back to that but with mercury you said mercury's there right mm -hmm. so Venus um number one very diplomatic when we have that this is like the person that's going to um I I by the way my sister has this almost all my ex-boyfriends have this I attract you guys so 
number one, you're going to need to have somebody that has similar tastes to you in your life. So you are absolutely at your best when you are in sync with somebody being able to talk about music and art and beauty and the things that like really light you up. And with your Mars and Taurus, you know, you might be a little bit more of a slow burn. Like, like I do I like this person? Let, let me let me sit back and kind of observe them a little bit more, decide whether I can open up to them, give it a little bit of time. Um, but then once I'm into it, I'm 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 there for the long haul. I'm 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 a ride or die. And so I would say, like, as far as the strength, as far as like building upon that in a positive way. This is somebody here who's who's really got to talk about art, needs to communicate about art, needs to communicate about music, all the things that kind of light you up. And the more that you can kind of structure these things in a really practical way, you can eventually monetize these things. And because, you know, Mars and uh, your Mars is in Taurus. So you want it to be sustainable. You want it to be something you can build a life off of. And so it's like slow and steady meets the race. Now that can be a little bit hard in Aries because Aries is like, I want it and I want it now. But I have a feeling that if you, you know, get very passionate and then very detailed and slowly kind of draw it out over time, you can kind of monetize that and have some sustainability. Um, yeah. I've always wondered, like, if I could ask one more on that is like with my son, Mercury and Venus being in Aries, that's my 10th house. Right. And yeah. then North node being 11th house, which is like, but also my Chiron is in there too, or Chiron, Gemini. Wait, so the, if you, it's a, if it's Placidus, right? Like those, the, it does that crossover. So my Chiron is Gemini 11th house, but my Mars is Taurus 11th house. Right. So wh- how do you feel that manifests being the 10th house? Right. How, how do the houses play into that or your thoughts? So um, if this was going on in the 10th house, this would be building around career and reputation. If it's the 11th house, we're going to look at like um, more social networks, how you are, you know, bringing in other voices, online work, social media. Um, Also, it's the house of hopes and dreams. So you're going to be like someone that really chases what you want. Um, And uh, you think probably a little bit outside of the box. It's an unconventional house. So, you know, um, you have, you have a vision board of what your future looks like and you're building upon that very slowly and structured in a way that allows you to light up and talk about the things that you love with other people. You, like when you get a record, for example, if you're going to buy a new record and you're listening to it for the first time, you're probably going to be the type of person that like messages your best friend and is like, Oh my God, the new Lana Del Rey. Like what, what thoughts we need to have a conversation. You literally like- just did that. <laughs> yep. And like audiobooks. I like message them constantly. I just listened to this podcast and I just heard this amazing thing or just, I've been on the drive. I listened to like 50 cents book, which was honestly so far has been amazing. And I was like, you guys have to listen. That's why I talked to you. I, I love to, t- I have a Venus Mars conjunction. So I'm like, let's critically deconstruct this. Like I need to like have a conversation. I need to think about it. Like <laughs> I need to think about archetypes. Like, like what? Anyway. Yeah. I'm yeah. watching the office right now. And I'm like, what do you think is like on Andy Bernard's iPod right now? Like his top, what, what's his Spotify top 10? I'm that person. Oh my God. That's <laughs> awesome. I love that. 
And then, so one more side question, because I am yep. curious about this. Do you have, as an astrologer, do you have, this is a little bit of a niche question, but I've seen a lot of astrologers have like really negative views of having a lot of retrogrades in a chart, right? I have like six retrogrades in my chart. Um, and especially the Venus ones, like something about like my sun being conjunct my Venus retrograde and my Mercury retrograde that like, it's going to overshadow. It's basically dooms me to a, like the more negative, like types of interpretations is like, it dooms me to a life of difficulty or that it's going to overshower, overshadow the good parts of my sun. Do you, I already get the feeling that you don't subscribe to that, but what are your thoughts on that? And I think that like, there's so many beautiful success stories. And we're going to talk about like people who have Venus retrograde, um, Julia Fox, we were just talking about her. She has a Venus retrograde in Capricorn and, uh, and I think it's conjunct Saturn. And I think about like, she had to work her ass off to get to where she is. And she had so much internal work that she needed to do to fight her addiction, to work on herself, to get out of really abusive, toxic relationships. It means that things might be a little bit more internal for you. There might, there might be a little bit more of a delay for you, but that doesn't mean it's not happening, that you're not going to be successful. Um, and there's so many people who have Venus retrograde that are super successful. Usually there's, there's some, you know, something that can happen sometimes with people with Venus retrograde is they can have a, a negative self view and they can be their own worst critic. And I see, you know, um, Courtney Love is somebody who has a Venus retrograde story. And I always think about how that it was the nose for her. She had to fix the nose and she knew that she was a star when she fixed the nose and then she got her nose job. She got a few nose jobs and, but like that was kind of motivation. And that's when she got, she says she got her record deal the minute she got her nose job. <laughs> you, you know, um, she would call me probably if I told her that I think she was cute. I mean, I like a nose, I'm a nose gal. Um, but I think it was the confidence that it gave her, you know, so it's about yourself, you, it isn't necessarily other people. Um, so yeah, when you have a Venus retrograde, you might have circumstances in your life where you have to reevaluate your values, your relationships, your relationship with self a little bit more. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a negative thing. Now, keep in mind something else to think about. If you have retrograde planets, like, and it doesn't matter what planet it is, we have many retrogrades each year, right? And so when those planets are retrograde, then it's going to be working to the best of its abilities. I have a stationary Saturn, which is frustrating as hell. And here's a funny story. So that means for people who don't know, when a planet is going to go retrograde, it starts to slow down. And so it's like right before it goes retrograde, it's basically like not moving. It's staying at a particular degree because it's slowing down, right? And so I was born while Saturn, the planet of work and, and karma was literally still. <laughs> and that happens pretty much only like one or two days out of the year that it's actually still, and it's right before it's about to go retrograde. So every time there's a Saturn retrograde and Saturn goes direct, that's the only time I do well financially. It's frustrating. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. It's just funny to observe. I mean, there's not to say that like, I can't have other windfalls that are nice, but it's just like clockwork. I noticed like, that's like my day, my one day out of the year. <laughs> 
funny. That is funny. So just going to be a little bit more um, potent. The same way that like if you're a Virgo rising or if you're a Gemini rising, a Mercury retrograde is going to affect you more because you're Mercury rolled. Yeah. I can see that for sure. These are all things that can be helpful too. Like, like Mercury retrogrades don't have to just be mistakes and accidents and, and miscommunications. They can be wonderful times to revise, revisit, renegotiate. You know, you don't like your lease and you need your landlord to fix something. You know, before I renew this lease during a Mercury retrograde, I want you to fix this motherfucking thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, I do like notice that during retrogrades, at least I can speak to um, Venus and Mercury are the ones I paid attention to during the most and how I am during them. Uh, Mercury retrogrades, I have really excellent insights during them, during those periods. Um, I usually try to journal a lot in them. Um, and I even at times Mercury retrogrades don't affect me all that much, right? Certain ones do. And it's, I'm still trying to learn like the how to know when one is going to be that a little bit more traditional Mercury retrograde energy. Um, Venus retrogrades, like this past one we went through, I always learn a ton through them. They are always like, I try to do the whole like underworld journey during that time and really like mark what I'm like working through and everything. And again, really great insights. This past one was a little bit more difficult. And like, I was just like, I'm ready to get to the other side of it. But, you know, I think, um, I definitely, I'm, I'm someone that's not afraid of dark topics and, um, doing like the really heavy, like internal, like dark, scary, what would be considered harder work. Um, I'm a very introspective person. Plutonic energy is like very interesting to me. Um, I'm trying to like move away from that a little bit. So things don't always have to be so intense, but, um, I enjoy a good introspective period. So I've been able to like spin retrograde times to like really enjoy them and like get something out of them. I can't, I won't say really enjoy them, but I get a lot of gold out of them. Let's put it that way. I don't think that there's anything such as like being born under a bad sign or a bad chart. There's nothing good or bad. It just is. Yeah. Well, on that note, can you speak on how astrology and human design charts are like individual blueprints and roadmaps to the soul and the lessons we are meant to learn in this lifetime? Absolutely. Um, to anyone who's like starting this journey, and I really think a great place to start is Jan Spiller's uh, book, Astrology of the Soul, which focuses on the nodes of fate. And that can really show us our soul's purpose in this lifetime. But I think each chart is a roadmap to not only our strengths in the material world, um, but like also the deeper, more karmic lessons that we're learning on a soul level. So for that, you'd want to go look at your nodes of fate, the North Node and the South Node. Um, and I would say um, if you are trying to do some sort of like healing work, um, working with your nodes, paying attention to big, big transits to the nodes, whether they are personal planets transiting the nodes or like you know, nodal reversals, nodal, nodal squares, they're going to bring up those soulful lessons. They're not always easy. Um, and sometimes they can be quite challenging. Um, but I think her book has gotten me through some of those challenging times and made me find meaning. There's beautiful mantras in there too, and affirmations. Um, I have a 
Patreon um, Astro School, where I dive really deep into these things. And we did a beautiful workshop. It's like this long three-hour workshop we did on the nodes through the houses, through the Jan Spiller School of Astrology's lens. She's, uh, she never called herself an evolutionary astrologer, but it's kind of in that territory, I'd say. Um but I, I, I think it that's one of my favorite classes we ever did. I did it with Stephanie Shea, um, who is her successor. She's writing Jan's final book right now as we speak. Um, but if you are interested in diving into that, that book I recommend, signing up for my Astro School, I really recommend because we, I have like really long videos on the nodes and things like that. Yes. No, I can speak to these uh, Patreon is awesome. I was a part of it for a while, loved it. Like that's a big part of my deep dives into astrology. So I like highly, highly recommend it. There's like, you have years worth of oh, yeah. on there and like backlog of classes and yeah. videos are recorded and written stuff. It's awesome. And I do AMAs and things like that too. So, um, yeah, if you have questions, I, I do offer that once a month for Asher students. And if you don't have the means, uh, it's $50 a month, but you, like I said, get tons of content. It's enormous. Um, and there's always content being updated. This month, we did a um, a lesson with a really great astrologer, and her name's Elle, L the Aquarius. Uh, she's Stellar Sanctum on Instagram. If anyone wants to go find her, she's a great astrologer, but she hosted a class on what's called Zod Zod Now I'm struggling to speak today. Uh, Zodokio releasing, and it's a, a Hellenistic timing technique, and it essentially can help you kind of plan uh successful projects and 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 know the kind of the unique timing of your life um and if you are a practitioner it can really help you know be just another tool in your toolbox too so yeah it's it's a special place i try to make it very unique i try to create a platform for neurodivergent voices i feel like they're kind of lacking um platforms uh so i i created one Awesome. And I love, I do love the eclectic um, other practitioners and teachers you bring together and the conversations y'all have, like, because you do have some really great voices on there. And like, I've just always, I mean, that's part of like what this is for us is like a collaborative space, right? Like Tracy and Idris and I, like we all went to school together and like those conversations you were saying like that I have to have about art and life. Like I've had this giant transformation this year just from regularly having those conversations with them right it suddenly came back into my life again and I feel like I've shifted and then like it's just being able to like pull in and like have this conversation we're having with you or with other people it just it feeds the soul so much and I see how thoughtfully you've chosen the people you've done these classes with and like I've really appreciated some of uh just like the topics and the people so it's it's awesome awesome I think um so would you say that you subscribe to a specific philosophy or school of astrology or you're, or you kind of talked about before how you just, you kind of take what feels right with people. But when, um, when you have clients, is there, if, how would you kind of present yourself to them or what, what you do? I definitely have like an eclectic, uh, take on it and, I just, I observe people, I think a lot and I, and I'm inquisitive and curious and I've always been able to 
understand things and astrology just sort of gave like a language to something that I already saw. I just needed that kind of connect connection. So I just kind of, I guess I'm an intuitive, I would say I'm an intuitive astrologer. I um, love doing consulting work. Um, it's my favorite just to build relationships with people. So like, I love doing relationship astrology, intimacy, astrology, family, astrology, being able to actually help people on their path and see the good and the strengths in them and, and build them up and, and to serve as like a friend. I'm an Aquarius sun and moon. So like, I want to be your cheerleader. So I guess what I would say is I love doing consulting work. I love working one-on-one directly with people. Um, this year I've been very lucky to have three clients I'm working one-on-one with, um, more long form with different goals that they have. And, uh, that's been my greatest joy, I think. That's awesome. So I think you actually just touched on this. Uh, what is your favorite type of work to do within your business or what do you enjoy most? I love doing like romance and, and family and any sort of like any sort of relationship, whether that's romantic, platonic business relationships. I love doing that type of work. And I think it's the most useful work. Um so many people too, I mean, one of the reasons that I think some people go to astrology um, healers and and, and uh, tarot readers and things like that is like, I think it can be hard for some people to want to get past like therapy or talk therapy. And I think that, you know, I'm not a therapist, first of all, but I think it's a great liminal space for people to start becoming more comfortable and acknowledging some of the wounds that maybe they need to work on um, or, you know, some strengths that maybe that they need to see more and, and put to more practical use. So I really just kind of like being a liaison that way. I'm, I've always been interested in psychology. If I had the money to go back to school to become a therapist, I would. So I just try to be able to help people, you know, build on themselves and feel good. I, I spent a lot of time in my own life, just feeling like, um, depression and, and not feeling a lot of self-worth. And I don't want anyone to ever feel that way because there's beauty in all of us. So I just like, like being that mirror for people and showing them how they shine. Beautiful. Love that. So what are some of your biggest influences and inspirations over the years, like artist wise or pop culture wise, or even just personal, like what were and from youth to now like what are the some of the defining things that I think formed your worldview or have been inspirational for you I mean punk was like a huge thing for me ideology wise um specifically hardcore punk things like you know minor threat fugazi um and then you know the community aspects of course that are built into uh, of hardcore punk and and DIY like I guess DIY really informed me anything you want to do you can do it yourself that's why I got into zines you want to be a writer you can write a zine um uh I really loved at a very young age I really loved Yoko Ono uh, I was I've always been kind of drawn to problematic women or women that like feel condemned like if I want to like I'm I want to be friends with the loudest person and the weirdest person in the room that's just how I've always been um, my dad was kind of a delinquent, so I'm just <laughs> attracted to that. And so, um, and, 
and, and, and I think as a person that always has been seen as like a problem, sometimes it's nice for me to hide behind someone else who's a bit, who's like a firecracker. So I can just kind of feel like the straight man. I love that feeling because I don't often get to feel that at home. And so I've always been attracted to that. So I loved Yoko Ono. She had her philosophies, if you even call them that, like the book Grapefruit. It, 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 it's just, I love to use it almost like tarot cards because it just, it changes your perception of the world and it just makes me laugh. And I think she's like the fundamental like punk artist in the sense that like she gives no fuck. She's really just expressing herself. Weird noise uh, things that she did like recording the toilet flushing and telephone calls. I just, I love the organic kind of punk rock nature. Uh, she's again another person just authentically herself I really love that so I was very drawn to her and um, of course you know people like Edie Sedgwick or Courtney Love um, were just always like people I was kind of drawn to or obsessed with these like very iconic problematic you know uh, doomed women and uh, I think that punk definitely shaped the way my philosophy works and um as i also think the other part of it is just the emotional limit breaking and uh, i've i've always been inspired by like fan what is fantastical breaking the rules um breaking the barriers breaking the limits of what other people like expect you to be one of my favorite artists growing up was daniel johns of silverchair i loved silverchair growing up um they were a band that I felt like, you know, they might've started as like this loud and great grunge band, but they were able to create visual art. Like you see imagery. I see imagery when I listen to a lot of their later records, you feel like you're in a world uh, of fantasy and adventure and you can go places through sound. Um, he did this really incredible record um, in the early 2000s, called um, a side project called the Disassociatives, and they that it's, I think it's music that's been really kind of designed. He was living in this heaviness for such a long time, and anger that you know making angry music. He just wanted to make music that felt good, and that brought joy and pleasure when you play it, um, and. It's so bizarre and weird and eccentric and then also just so poppy at times. And um, there's a song called like Horror with Eyeballs that I listen to all the time. And it's just like the, he says it's like the closest thing he can uh, compare to sculpture that's music. So mm. I love the way his brain thinks uh, in, ast in astrology. I have like a Venus conjunction to him. So it's like he's able to take things in my head and put them in a, in a linear sense. And I love it. And there's a fantasticalness to that. Um, I was always very into like very, again, that like the feeling of like things that are childlike, things that are very pure, things that are very beautiful, and then an ugliness. So I was super into um, like the Wizard of Oz as a kid. Every one of my zines has like a reference to the Wizard of Oz, I think I said. And um but also just all the Dorothy books and they're much darker. I don't know if anybody, have you guys read any like the return to Oz books? They're mm -hmm. actually dark. Um, and, and there's a, there's actually a really great movie. I remember when I was a kid, um, 
or turn to Oz and froze the bulk uh, from the craft. She was in it and mm. she, young Dorothy. And there's like this scene. Uh, it's like one of those great scenes when you're a kid that I just was like, whatever that is, I wanted. I just think that that's so cool. So the, the Wicked Witch, she has like a room full of heads and she, she can take the head off and have like a new head and become a new person. And just like, I don't know, I saw that as a kid and it just like really informed me in some way of like, uh, I just love all that dark kind of whimsy, I guess. And and uh, yeah, sorry, I kind of trailed off there. Yeah, I have a lot of, I guess, I don't know where what I would say. I guess that I like things that are fantastical and dark but also beautiful and um, they can take you to another world. I am always scared to go on planes. I have the worst travel anxiety. So I like to travel through my headphones. <laughs> I um, on that. Uh, what would you say is your long-term vision for yourself and the work that you do? Like, do you see yourself writing a book or anything like that? Yeah, I am writing stuff uh, right now, and I am going to self-release one, and then there's one I would like to do in a different fashion if it, if, if, the, if it presents itself, um, but there is something I am self-publishing right now um, that I'm writing. Um, I just want to be storytelling. I just want to be helping people. I just want to keep evolving. I, um, I really just... I don't have goals anymore. Um, I realized that like it makes it doesn't make allow me to be present when I set up goals for myself. So I just try to remain open to what life offers me and to be present. Um, I just hope to be happy and doing things that are creatively lighting me up for all times and to be able to connect and help other people doing it is always a gift. Absolutely. When you, this is kind of off topic, but I'm just thinking when you come upon an opportunity, say you're just like floating around the world and like something appears and you have that gut reaction to it. Like, are you, you really notice that? And then you're like, oh, I'm going to go this way. Like you kind of, you're very, um, like when you say you're open, you know, obviously you're receiving a lot of things every day and then something really shines and it makes you choose that path. Like, do you, are you conscious of those things when you're making those choices? Yeah. I mean, for me, I have like really visceral reactions when things light me up, even just like with friendships or people I want to work with, like my best friend, Katie and I met through the magic of Instagram. And we were both like late in life, diagnosed autistic, um, like queer people and um I don't know I just like felt very like lit up like looking at her I was like I want to be this girl's fucking friend like I just want her to be my friend but I don't know how to talk to her and she felt the same way too apparently and we ended up just kind of talking so I guess I just like I listen to like I listen to like what lights me up and gives me gas. And, and sometimes that can be really scary for me because when I do feel things, it's super intense. Like, so I noticed that like my life can a lot of times be very like calm. And then I meet somebody or an opportunity comes up and then I'm like obsessed with it, you know? So I guess that it's uh, that inner gas pedal that you feel when yeah. you're lit by something. 
and if it like stays with me for a long period of time, then I just, I know that that's for me, you know, I've, I've sometimes I'm like, I have to check myself and I'm like, why is this lighting me up? Is this like lighting up a bruise inside of me? Is this like reflecting a wound that I want to like fuck with even more? Um, but generally I've learned to determine by having those conversations with myself, you know, uh, internally, whether it's like a positive opportunity or, or if it's like, you know, ego, ego, ego defining or something. Right. Yeah. Ego affirming. What's your, um, uh, human design type? I am a five, one generator. Um, so I definitely relate to being a five, one, um, it's difficult. Uh, I've learned that people either love me or hate me and that's fine. Uh, it's been to your question before about like using archetypes. I think it helps my self-esteem to see other five ones and know that, you know, I'm always kind of like Britney Spears is a five one people love her, hate her project onto her. She's the worst. She's the best. I think she's a person who I love and I can identify with. And so I think that like having grace to see other five ones like that is helpful because it makes me feel less critical. Like, why didn't this person like me? You know, I, I, I have really bad rejection dysphoria, <laughs> especially being autistic and it's something I work through. So yeah, it helped me find a lot of presence with that. Um, but yeah, I get lit up by things. I'm a generator. I respond to life. Um, and I am the gate 49, which is the gate of revolution. And when I saw that, I was like, hell yeah, I am definitely here to be part of the revolution and help people find revolution in themselves. Me and Jen Aniston. She's got that too. That's awesome. Yeah. She's my birthday twin. <laughs> I didn't realize she's an Aquarius. Yeah, she's an Aquarius. She's the ultimate friend. <laughs> I love that. I always think it's, I, so my birthday twins are her, Kelly Rowland. Again, the ultimate friend, the ultimate teammate. Um, and then Brandy, who I also really loved. Love as Brandy, The vocal Bible for our listeners. Uh, um, I want to be, I loved Moesha. That was like my show. Yeah. February 11th babies. I always kind of joke Oh, and Cheryl Crow. And so I always sort of joke that my dream blunt rotation is, uh, Jennifer Aniston, Cheryl Crow and Brandy. Oh, great. <laughs> love, uh, love me some Cheryl Crow. <laughs> so kind of our last question, even though I have another one brewing a little bit, um, what is your favorite color? really serious deep question or you can have more than one color too we often all have more than one color question for me okay so this is a complicated question because it used to be yellow and also like a baby blue were my favorites when I was younger but tied to my Melissa story Melissa's favorite colors were pink and purple that was a huge part of her identity we associate those colors with her particularly if they're in leopard print or like some other animal print and, and tacky as fuck. Um, <laughs> so now they've become my favorite colors. And so I have a lot of pink in my house and I feel more joyful when I have pink around me and purples because they remind me of her. So now they're my favorite colors. Um, so yeah, I still love blue and yellow though. 
That's why I wore them. I intuited that you were going to be here and you like them. No. Yeah. Yes. But um, I was also thinking, this is kind of a deep question. Um, I saw on your Instagram, you had um, a graphic about apologizing to someone mm -hmm. and it hit really close to home with me. So this might not even make it into the show, but my brother <laughs> is autistic as well. And I feel like I'm having trouble, like, just apologizing to him. Like, I know that I've apologized, but he, like, won't accept it. But, like, he sat me down to, like, talk to me, like, to, like, let him know how he feels. And I'm like, but I apologize. Like, what can I do? I know that I, I'm going, I, I screenshotted that graphic that you gave us on your timeline because I just need to do the repentance. I need to do the five parts. Like, I just need to do every part of that, I think, to get through well the thing that I find is super helpful with apologies, and like this is something I had to really learn. Um, I went through an ex a, a few experiences in my life where, and this is like a neurodivergent thing where like, uh, I realized that like people apologize very differently. Some people apologize very differently from me. And then they had it. I'm always, I'm like very non-judgmental in that way. And I had a friend that like kind of attacked me one time and was like, I feel like you just make excuses when you apologize and you just say I'm autistic. And I was like, I, in my mind, I wasn't doing that. I was just kind of explaining why it wasn't like a, a natural reaction. And so it made me realize there's a great book on, on apology lang languages. The same people who wrote about like love languages and things like that. Um, they wrote a book on uh, apology languages and it's this concept that like, different people need to be apologized to in different ways and we need different things from an apology some people you know and it can depend on what they're apologizing for too so like you know some people they don't want to hear your excuses they just want to hear i'm sorry the end i fucked up i take i take ownership that was not cool done some people want to be able to understand how you think and those are the people who are probably going to want to hear well this is what I was thinking I know that this was not my intention it was an asshole thing to do I should have been better I will be better and then there's some people who want to see work and what does that work look like that work looks like hey um you know I I did so recently my best friend and I got into a little argument and when we called each other and we we like talked about it I was like I want you to know that I recognize that sometimes I write big bold paragraphs and that's very overwhelming for you so the next time that we are having a dip back and forth I'm going to really try to like work on how I phrase things in a simple and direct way and I'm not going to send you blocks of text anymore and and you know like this is showing like I I, I learned I'm going to make an effort to do something different um and some people really like that and so there's just different ways some people want to feel like they're in the power seat so they're going to be like you need to repent i need to take you out to dinner tonight you know what i fucked up i'm gonna take you out to dinner tonight my treat some people need that you know so it really depends on the situation so great conversation to have maybe with your brother is say, you know i'm reading about apology languages and i think i identify as this in the future, I really want to respect you better. Like, how do you like to be apologized to? What would make you feel safer? And so we can rebuild this connection in a way that gives you power, you know, and makes you feel 
good. So I would maybe think about that <laughs> a little bit. Um, and I think it also just depends on what the argument is. I mean, if it's ideology and, and just a different way of looking at the past, those things can be so brutal because they take so long for us to like heal those types of wounds. So I always say with that, those kind of things, doing the work, showing people you're reading a book, I, you know what? I did this. I'm going to read a book about this. Like, I, I want to be a better brother to you, you know? Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Oh, no problem. I hope that that's helpful. I think the book. It, it, I put the book in the notes, Idri. It's, it's the Five I, Apology Languages by Gary Chapman and Gary Chapman. Yeah. yeah. He's a, like, again, we talked earlier take what you love and leave the rest. Um, a friend of mine brought to my attention that he has some troubling stuff in his uh, in his belief systems. But I took that book. I took what I could from it. And I leave the rest. <laughs> I was just looking at the rest of the books that he has either authored or co-authored. It's yeah. quite extensive. Um, the, the so the five languages of apology, five love languages. There's a love language for children. Um, and the secret of loving children effectively. Um, there's another apology book called When Sorry Isn't Enough, Making Things Right with Those You Love. It's a, the same set of authors, but a slightly different version of that book. Yeah. One for teenagers, languages of appreciation in the workplace, love languages for men. There's a book about anger. He like So there's tons and tons and tons of books okay. that he has co-authored or authored. Like when you're doing like the work, generally breakup, there's like five or six books everyone sort of like recommends to you, like attached and, you know, and he, they definitely are one of them. The other thing I really love is the Gottman Institute mm -hmm. and anyone listening at home, if you're, if you made it this far, <laughs> um, if you haven't already download the Gottman Institute app, especially if you're in a relationship. It is super good for learning how to reconnect with your partner. It's a wonderful way to reconnect with somebody after you get into an argument to sort of rebuild the trust. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I love having tools like that. Uh, on a side note, one of the cutest things that I remember that I got from the internet, James Vanderbeek. If you do not follow James Vanderbeek on Instagram, especially if you're a parent, go follow him. Um, he gives really great, sweet parenting advice, but he was talking about how when you're arguing with your child or after they have a meltdown, something his mom used to do was get an orange and he would start peeling the orange. And then you ask the child, would you help me peel the orange so we can eat it? And it's just a nice way to like get the bodies moving, start connecting when you don't know how to like approach someone after a fight. Stuff like that is so helpful. Gottman Institute, James Vanderbeek. That's awesome. <laughs> do you, you may have covered this a little bit in the beginning, but do you see yourself going back to old school zines again? I've been making a lot of e-zines lately. Eventually, I would like to go back to making old school zines again. Um, and I will. I know that I will. Uh I just haven't really kind of gotten there yet. And I know that I'll feel the pull from the universe to do that again soon. 
Um, I have been doing e-zines. Um, I like write everything on my phone. Like I like that's just I, I have a computer, but I at this point I've been doing I didn't have one for so long that like it just it's easier for me. So I love just like making things on my phone right now, which is usually Canva or and some words and I can put something together and not consume paper, which I guess is environmentally friendly, but I do miss it. So eventually I'd go back to making things, um, maybe next summer or something. Uh, and I feel called to it. <laughs> and how do you, how do you put out your, um, easy ins? What? Your easy ins? Like where, where do we find those? Are they, yeah. How do we find those? I don't have anything currently. Um, a lot of them are on my Patreon. Okay. They perfect. Cool things like that. Um, but I am working on a few, which I hope to have out, uh, next year, probably in the spring. Awesome. Yeah. I want to know a little bit about your music background. Oh yeah. So, um, I don't play music. Uh, I've been writing since I was a kid and I just, um, I used to interview bands a lot and I set up shows and I put on shows, uh, through DIY, punk networks my whole life since I was like a teenager and um yeah so I have started off just sort of like wanting to interview my friends bands and like get more exposure another thing that was like super interesting to me was you know I would read these punk scenes and they were no disrespect but they were so masculine in the questions that they asked there was like, it felt, I felt like they were lacking depth and I wanted to find, I don't know. I just wanted to ask things that were more, um, maybe a little invasive, but like a little bit more, uh, that, that like people could, could learn something cathartic from someone's experiences perhaps. And so I started interviewing people and eventually like, people would be like your questions are so complicated and like I mean that as a compliment kind of thing <laughs> or like this is one of the best interviews I ever did and I realized it was a real strength of mine so you know when I was young I really wanted to be like an MTV VJ I just wanted to interview or like I wanted to be a DJ my sister tells me all the time that I should have been a DJ um I that, that like my brain thinks in music I have like an encyclopedic like an encyclopedia of my brain right now, like of just everything. And, and, and so when I, when I think of, when I speak emotions, like I, I, I have a hard time talking about my feelings, but I could like name a song, you know, that <laughs> is reminiscent of what I'm feeling. Or, you know, I, I think about things in metaphor and, and it's, it's just easier for me to understand things in poetry, I guess. Um, so yeah, I just, I started creating zines that I felt ask the questions that I was interested in learning. So like, for example, you know, there was this hardcore band that I saw one time in a basement and um, they were, uh, they were this uh, female, I hate this term, but they were like this, this woman fronted band. And just to see the ways in which most cis males use their bodies on stage versus how this person was using their body there was something really vulnerable in that. And, and it felt like, like an artistic experience. Um, and I just was very moved by them. And so we talked a lot about movement and movement on stage and, and metaphor and, and just stuff like that was super interesting to me. Um, and just like, 
there was this kid that we would see um, playing shows and, uh, you know, it was the mid 2000s. So like, you remember how people would be like twisting the microphones and things like that. And mm. like, it became like a stupid art or something. Um, but I saw this kid one time and he was almost using it as like bondage in a way. And, and I started thinking about his life and being like a person of color and just some of the experiences that he had like privately shared with me about how he felt like, um, and I wondered if this was like this experience of being like radically free for the first time. And maybe that was so uncomfortable for him. He just kept wrapping himself in the cords. And so we had like this nice conversation about that and 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 just stuff like that kind of just always interests me a little bit more and um then like needing to know like what's your next seven inch gonna sound like 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 more blasts you know like no one like I don't you know like that's me that's like not super interesting I want to like get in your head I want to know what you're thinking I want to know what you have to say I want to give you a platform to say it or so even I if they are thinking like he may not even be aware that those are the things he's doing, even though that's how he's feeling. A hundred percent. And then like just a goofy thing that I loved doing too at the very end, because the subject matter was usually really intense in my zines. Um, Cause they would usually fall around a common theme. Like I used um, one was disconnection. One was identity. Another one was drive, like what motivates us. So a lot of the stories could be kind of intense. So like I wanted to add like kind of a silly element to it. And so at the very end, I would uh, pick four artists per issue and I would give them the Pavot questionnaire from um, inside the actor studio, which if you guys like don't know, is that like famous questionnaire that like you're supposed to like tell a person's soul from the answers to these questions. And they're really silly, like, like, what's your favorite curse word? And real, <laughs> what do you want God to say to you at the pearly gates? And it's just an excellent way to, to wrap it up because I got some of the most hilarious answers of all time. What's your favorite word, guys? Let's finish this out. I want to ask you, what's your favorite word? And what do you want to say to you at the pearly gates? <laughs> Fuck is a great curse word for me. Yeah, it's definitely mine. Like, there's, so many, there's so many, like, different ways to say fuck. And, like, it has so many different, like uh definitions like because it depends on the context so it's just fuck is great um and at the pearly gates i don't know like i have no idea if god like why don't you believe that i'm actually here like that might be what he says to me at the gates because like <laughs> sometimes i'm just like are you there like i just am i alone like this feels really like a lone journey but i don't know do you remember that book? I don't know. Which book was it? I said, Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that. Judy Bloom, yeah. Or or Are You There, God? It's me, Chelsea. Which yeah, is I know about that one. Autobiography. Oh, Chelsea <laughs> Handler's book. Chelsea Handler, yeah, I guess. Yeah. No, it's Are You There, God? It's me, Chelsea. <laughs> That's what it is. That's so, awesome. Um, what do you okay so if and god is like if, god, yeah. if god what do you want god to say to you at the pearly gates lisa yeah 
can't say that there's like one thing. I want to have like a question and answer series with God. I have a series <laughs> of questions and things I want to know and like things I want to run through with them. Like there's answers I need and I want to have an in-depth conversation <laughs> with them. Awesome. Hmm. I feel, I feel like I am similar to Lisa with like all these questions. So I think I just want the, the answer to be yes. And I'll be like, yes, I knew it. It's all the- <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Yeah. Validation. That's all I need. What's your favorite curse word? Kumi. Thank you. I thought that. And like, I mean, fuck is a really good one, but I don't know. Maybe like, I I kind of, I really like the word cunt. (laughs) 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 It weirdly offends people more than fuck. Yes, it does. Yeah. I mean, like, there's just the way it rolls off the tongue, you know, it's, it's a harsh word. I don't use it often, but when I use it, I really mean it. <laughs> I love it as like a reclaimed word, you know? I mean, like, I think I get why people can be offended by it. It definitely had a different connotation back in the day, but I think like, it's just, it. it's all, like, yeah, I, I see it as like the same way fuck is a great adjective and word of power, you know, like Cunt is true, you know? Not to mention Kevin Ambiance did that song, Cunty, which was, like, fucking amazing and I loved. So, like, that really changed all of that, too. And then Beyonce went on to sample that, but, yeah. I recently found out I have a moon conjunction to Erica Jane from The Real Housewives, and that's her whole thing is to be cunty, right? So I I, I, I approve of that. Don't approve of her legal matters, but approve of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and what would God say to you at the pearly gates? Melissa's waiting for you. She's got a date with River Phoenix tonight. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's like your mom's here. <laughs> I'm more excited to be my friend than my mom. <laughs> I mean, mom can wait. Yeah. And River Phoenix. Anyway. <laughs> he can wait too. He can wait too. <sighs> Anyway, well, this was so lovely. Thank you guys for having me. I had, it was nice to meet all of you. This was a wonderful conversation. You can bother me about art anytime. I love talking art (laughs) and astrology. This was awesome. It was such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. You are very welcome. Well, enjoy your evening and hopefully the weather in Chicago will stay nice for a little while. I will try to stay warm stretch it out until the snow comes it was 65 here just i'm just you know just it was 65 this week here too it's like just when the sun goes down and then it's it's wretched gotta get up early anyway take care guys thank you for listening to this episode of art kids for artwork, resources, and music credits, visit the Art Kids website at artkidspodcast.com. That's Art Kids with a Z. Until next time, ciao.
fame Freedom over fame, the cycle stays the same. Freedom, freedom over fame. Freedom, freedom over fame. Freedom over fame, the cycle stays the same. Freedom over, cycle stays the same.